Welcome, everybody, to the Emmanuel Truro podcast. I'm Pastor Michael Fredericks, lead pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Truro, Nova Scotia, Canada. And uh, this is not an every week podcast, not always an every month podcast. It's just an occasional podcast that we do when there's a good question that needs to be answered. Sometimes it's a question that someone will ask me, or sometimes it's a question that I ask myself. Uh, Sometimes it's a question that comes out of a sermon that I've been preaching. And sometimes it's stuff that I had in my sermon that's just way too much content to try to deal with on a Sunday morning. And so I got to put it somewhere. And so it ends up in a podcast. So that's sort of what we're doing today. As I was preaching on the feeding of the 5,000, I noticed that, that the accounts of the story through the different gospels, and it's the only uh, miracle story of Jesus, aside from the resurrection, that's told in all four gospels. As I read all four different versions of it, I noticed that there are some differences. And it got me thinking about the question of the apparent contradictions between the four gospel accounts. How come they don't always agree on the details? So that's the question that we're going to answer today. Why don't the four Gospels always agree on the details? If the Bible is inerrant and infallible and divinely inspired and the Word of God and all those words that we throw around, how can it apparently contradict itself? Does it actually contradict itself? Well, maybe it does. What does that mean? Does that mean that we can't trust the Bible? So lots of questions around this. It's a big question. And I don't really myself feel adequately prepared to answer this question. It's something I would say I'm honestly still sort of trying to figure out for myself. Um, And so I've invited a guest onto our podcast today. This is the first time I've done this. We've got a special guest on today's Emmanuel Truro podcast. And the special guest today is my friend, Greg Manette. Say hello, Greg. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Mike. So Greg Manette is a friend that uh, I met when I was studying at Acadia Divinity College. In our first year, we were in the same class together. And very, in fact, the very first day of Acadia Divinity College, we were paired together in a class to sit down and get to know each other. And, uh, and so I did get to know Greg at that point. And, uh, and we really developed a friendship over those years that we were there at Acadia. And lots of time in prayer together and walking around the campus and lots of conversations about theology and Bible and life and all that sort of stuff. Greg lives in Bedford with his wife and two kids. And Greg is the, now you might have to help me on what your title is, but you're sort of the Atlantic Canada or Canada. Canada Canadian national presenter uh, for Logos Bible Software. Logos Bible Software. So Logos Bible Software. Well, you can tell us about that, Greg. Tell us a little bit about what you do. I, uh, I work for Logos. It's a company based out of Bellingham, Washington, on the West Coast of the U.S. Um, it's the biggest Bible software company in the world. But the point of the software is to help people study the Bible. It's uh, the biggest digital library of Christian books in the world that is uh, searchable. So you can go to Logos.com and find out more information on it. But uh, that's, that's not the focus of this podcast. So you can yeah. <laughs> go look that up if you want. But let's, let's get to the topic at hand. Sure. Well, I should also mention that Greg is an author, and he wrote a great book called The Wrong Jesus, Fact, Belief, Legend, Truth, Making Sense of What You've Heard. I looked at this, Greg, 200 and some pages. That's pretty impressive, man. I never written nothing <laughs> like that. That's great. Good job. I bet you have. If you total up all your sermons, you've probably written thousands of pages. I suppose that's true. But anyway, it's it's excellent. I've read it. It's it's good. I I I refer to it quite a bit at times when I'm preaching. Um, and so I figured if anybody's got an answer to this, my friend Greg. So Greg, um, 
I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. First, let me just give a little bit more background on the question. Why do the four Gospels apparently seem to contradict each other at some times? Why do they disagree on some of the details? Um, in the Feeding of the 5,000 story that I referenced earlier, um, just as an example, this is a very minor, you know, sometimes the differences are really small and seemingly insignificant. Here's an example. In John, John's account of the Feeding of the 5,000, it says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And then Philip answers him, and then the miracle takes place. Well, in Matthew's and, and Mark's and Luke's accounts, which are the synoptic gospels, those three gospels tend to have things in common because they have similar sources and whatnot. We can talk about, maybe you're going to talk about that, Greg, a little bit in your answer. Um, but in those accounts, it says, basically, there's a, a long day of teaching. Jesus is there all day with these guys. And then in the evening, it says, now when it was evening, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And then Jesus tells them to get them something to eat. And then the miracle happens. So the question there is, well, did this miracle happen just as soon as Jesus saw them? And did Jesus raise the question about how are we going to feed these people as a test to Philip? Or was this something that took place at the end of a long day and uh, the disciples were the first to raise the question about how to feed them? So what's, what's true there? You know, are they both true or is, is, is there some way to harmonize those? Um, so interesting. For me, when I read that, I go, gee, I wonder why those don't line up. Um, but that's a pretty minor difference. It doesn't really affect the story at all. Um, you can have other more significant differences, like the question about when was the cleansing of the temple by Jesus, right? So um, in John's account, the cleansing of the temple happens very early in Jesus's ministry, um, probably in the first year of his three, roughly three-year ministry. But in the synoptic, synoptic gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the cleansing of the temple happens at the end of Jesus's ministry during Holy Week before he's crucified. So the question that some people would say, oh, well, you know, obviously Jesus must have cleansed the temple twice, once at the start of his ministry and then again at the end of his ministry. Well, that's one possible solution to that. Or maybe John just chose to tell the story as happening at a different time. And when did it really happen? Well, that seems to be unclear. Uh, so um, that's, a, that's another example. And I think for me, the, the one that is the most significant, because I think the resurrection of Jesus is the most significant event in the story of Jesus. Um, the resurrection of Jesus is very, the four accounts of that are very different from one another. Uh, I brought those up just to compare. And just as some examples, and I don't want to beat this to death, um, but in Matthew's account, it's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who went to the tomb. In Mark's, it's Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. In Luke's account, it's Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women. And in John's account, it's just Mary. So who did it? Who was it? Who, who was, who, which women did go to the tomb? Um, in Matthew's account, there's an earthquake. Uh, the other accounts don't mention an earthquake. In Matthew's account, it says um, that the angel was sitting on the stone, uh, on top of the stone that was rolled away. In Mark's account, it says there, there was a young man sitting, sitting on the right side of where Jesus was laying. In Luke's account, two men uh, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And in John's account, uh, the angel doesn't appear until a little bit later after people have already been there and come and gone. And then uh, Mary sees two angels sitting where the body of Jesus was. So 
what's up with the angel or angels? How did that take place? Uh, some differences there. Um, did they meet Jesus there as well or not? Uh, did the women go and tell the disciples or not? In, in Matthew and Luke and John, it says that they, the women went and told the disciples. But in Mark's, it says they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So there's these differences. But at the same time, the core of the story is the same. The women, there's women going to the tomb early on Sunday morning. They get there. The stone is rolled away. The body of Jesus is gone. There's encounters with angels. There's encounters with the risen Jesus and the disciples find out. So the core details are the same, but the, the other details differ. And so that's sort of what we're talking about today. How do we explain those differences? Greg, I'm going to now, I've talked enough. I'm, I'm <laughs> wanting the ball to you. How no, these, are, that, that these are great questions. And let me just say to the listeners that there are not easy answers to these questions. Um, I think a lot of us, you know, we, you know, those of us who grew up in Bible believing churches like I did and like, like Mike as well, you know, oftentimes our, our pastors mean well, sometimes they over egg the pudding, they overcommit. They say, well, there's really, you know, there, there's easy answers to that. I'll give you a book on this topic and it'll just, it'll, it'll untie the knot for you in your brain and you'll have total resolve and you'll feel great. And, you'll have a great nap that afternoon. You don't have to worry about it. But there, you know, these are, these are complex issues. I mean, P Christians have been struggling with these questions for centuries. For instance, um, you know, in the, uh, in the fourth century, Augustine, he wrote a harmony of the gospels and he, he, he made the claim that there's not a single error in scripture. Whereas Origen in the third century, he wasn't troubled by differences in the gospels. And he said that it's the spiritual truth that they convey that matters. So he thought that there were differences, you know, uh, origin, right, unlike Augustine, and they just didn't agree on how to how to how to untangle this. Uh, so, you know, the, it's been go even just from, you know, when the when the the ink was dried on these papyruses that are, later became the, uh, you know, our gospels and the and the writings of the New Testament documents, you know, Christians started to pick apart these, especially when they were able to compare them. But here's something to keep in mind is that we live in the luxury of the 21st century where we have a completed Bible. Like I have, you know, you can buy them for like 10, 15 bucks. And most churches give them up for free. They actually, churches will buy them to give to people because they want people to read them, even though they're like, they cost money. So they're like, you don't even have to pay for one anymore. You can look it up online. But we live in the time and day where we have, we have printed Bibles that are neatly put together that have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they have the letters of Paul, and they have everything compiled, the Old Testament, New Testament, everything's in a neat and tidy package. Whereas in the first century, for the first few decades of the Christian movement, the Jesus movement, they didn't have a Bible like we had. They had floating documents. So one church might have, you know, as soon as Mark was written, uh, I don't know exactly when that was, let's say maybe sometime in the 60s. I really don't know. Uh, nobody does. We don't know exactly when they were written. We know that they were definitely written within the first century because we have, you know, later documents that cite them that are written in the early second century. So that pushes them to a certain date. Let's assume the Mark was written in the mid sixties. And then Mark started to be read by churches in the, you know, right away. So mid sixties, it was like, like 30 years after the life of Jesus, we have Mark's gospel. That might've been the only gospel for a few years that a church had to use. So they, they were going on Mark. And then Matthew and Luke were composed. I don't know when they were composed either. We don't even know exactly what, who was written first. Uh, some scholars now think that, uh, you know, our common teacher, Craig Evans, has now revised thinking in the last couple of years 
And he's opened the possibility that uh, there was proto-Mark. There was Mark that was you know, sort of the rough version of the text. And then we have the polished edited version now. And then Matthew and Luke might have been using proto-Mark. So it's possible that the Matthew and Luke that we have now was were, were written before Mark was completed and the, and the final edition of Mark came out. So there's really no, anyways, these are all confusing questions. The reason why I say that is because we are, we are so spoiled that we get to struggle over these questions. We get to see the differences in the Gospels, whereas for the first decades of the Jesus movement, they didn't. The other thing to keep in mind is when the Gospels were composed, they were based off of decades of oral memory. So people were passing around the stories about Jesus by, they were reciting them by oral tradition. So they would pass on these stories. Um, it's possible that they wrote notes down when Jesus was speaking or teaching, but we don't really have any evidence of that. So they may have, we don't really know, but we know that Jesus was an itinerant preacher. So what does that mean? Jesus would tell the same story over and over and over again. Right. He would give the exact same sermon numerous times and he would change it each time. In fact, this might sound like heresy, but I would say that some of the differences, the discrepancies in the gospels, uh, if you compare the teachings of Jesus may have come from Jesus himself. <laughs> you change the story to a different audience when you went out the next time. Why not? I mean, it, it brought apart a powerful point. Uh, there's nothing wrong about it. He just changed the story up and changed the order and said different things. Now, that doesn't answer all the questions that Mike raised. Because Mike raised questions, for instance, like, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. At what point did the, you know, what, you know, did the disciples come to Jesus saying, we need to feed these people? Or was it later? Like, how did the order of that happen? I don't know the answer to that. I think that that is actually... We actually have an issue within the text where I don't personally think that we can harmonize everything. Uh, harmonizing means when you try to take the stories in the Gospels and you assume in your mind when you harmonize something, and oftentimes it's a good thing to do. We should all try to harmonize the biblical text as long as it, to, a, to a certain point. Yeah. Now, when you harmonize it, you almost have this picture in your brain like you have a puzzle and you have puzzle pieces. And you want to be able to straighten out the puzzle, make sure the puzzles fit in properly. So you're trying to line everything up. So you're trying to like, well, this piece goes here from Mark, and then this piece here from Matthew or John should fit in just the same, like right alongside of it. But, not, but sometimes the puzzle pieces don't seem to fit. And that's because the gospel authors were not trying to write modern history like you, like Mike mm -hmm. and I would hope to re read in a modern historical textbook. If we're reading a biography of, you know, any recent person in history, like, I don't know, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, for, almost former Prime Minister, likely Brady. former. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks because that guy's got like the like the the cat who had nine lives. He'll he'll probably find a way to hold on to power. But anyways, let's say somebody's going to write a bi biography of him. Yeah, we would ex expect more chronological detail and sort of almost a literal retelling. But we know from ancient writers in the past, from other ancient biographies, because the Gospels were not modern biographies; they're written two thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, that ancient biographers. They did not write their recordings. Uh, a biography is not straight history. Now, that might bug us, but too bad. <laughs> they're, not, they're not straight history. The gospel writers were doing a number of things at one time. Num their number one point the gospels were written was to try to, their ancient propaganda, to try to convince people. Propaganda is not always a bad word. Propaganda means that like you're trying to propagate your message. You're trying to convince people to buy what you're selling. They were trying to convince people that Jesus is raised from the dead. He is Lord. And we should, you know, make him the king of our lives. That is what the gospels, the ultimate purpose of the gospels is trying to do.
So what they did was they did what a lot of ancient biographers did. They were creative in how they told those stories about Jesus. And they had freedom to do so because when we look at other ancient biographies, like Plutarch who wrote like 65 of them, he did the same sort of things the gospel authors do, like moving stories around out of context. So like on purpose, where they would say, like if Mark was supposedly written first and Matthew and Luke took from information from Mark, they took the story out of one context and put it in another or not even a different date. For instance, mm-hmm. um, you know, when, you know, when was, when did Jesus die? You know, the synoptics have him dying. I think was it the eve of the Passover whereas John has it on the actual day of the Passover. I purpose, I personally think John changed the date of the death of Jesus so that Jesus, the theological motif of Jesus being the Passover lamb is crystal clear. Mm. He's doing that. He's ta- he's making an editorial. He's taking sort of editorial liberties to make a theological point. Is he lying to us? No, he's not lying to us. He's making a very powerful theological point because John was not writing straight history. He was writing theology, history, and propaganda at the exact same time. Now, once again, don't be turned off by the word propaganda because I don't mean that we often think of that as being negative, but everybody uses propaganda when they're trying to promote a certain uh, position that they hold. Um, so, so the gospel authors did different things. But th- when I said earlier on about harmonization, harmonizing is when you try to make everything fit together. You try to harmonize it. And Yeah, I used to have a, sorry to interrupt, I used to have a book on my shelf. I don't know what happened to it, but um, it was like an old an old timey book called a harmony of the gospels. I think it was published in the 1920s or something. And that's exactly what it was. It was uh, this guy had gone through meticulously with each event or story or teaching from the life of Jesus and had tried to fit it all together in a way so that there would be no contradictions. So what he's done is really, I think, taken a hacksaw to the gospels done them probably a disservice because it, 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 you've you've taken apart these these beautifully constructed pieces of literature and uh, and mutilated them in, into making them into a you know an attempt at a historically accurate timeline of the life of Jesus and instead it's probably not historically accurate and it's 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 done a disservice i think to what they were trying to communicate in their gospel. So, but there's been many attempts at a harmony of the gospels, like you said, starting back with St. Augustine. I mean, it's, it's a long history of people trying to do that. And I think that there is, I don't, I I don't want to totally say that there's no harmonizing that can be done. No, no, that's right. I think think there is, you know, Um, but there's also times when I I think it's a stretch and and not intellectually satisfying um, to, to, to do that. So, and it uh, doesn't even respect what the gospel authors were trying to do. Yeah, exactly. Cause they like almost sometimes when a modern skeptical reader will read the new Testament gospels, they'll say that biblical author that like Matthew obviously didn't know what Mark was doing and, or he purposely is trying to mislead us by changing the date of when something happened or no, he's not doing that at all. That's, that's us applying our modern precision ancient text but also it's us not respecting that the authors were the best way to put this as i said it's not straight history i i view the gospels almost like like a like a it's probably a poor analogy but i view it like almost like a stage production of of like a real life live event real event that happened but it's made for stage production so it's 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 not like it's not based on true story 
it is a true story, but it's being presented on stage. As soon as you do that on stage, you only have like two hours to do this. You don't have five years to do this. You have to compress information down. You have to do like certain things. You have to, you can't have every single character as part of the story. You yeah. can't have all hundred characters involved that were there in real life. So sometimes what you do is you take the words from one person, put them in the mouth of the other. You're not misleading the audience. You're compressing it down. You're being brief. Also papyrus in the ancient world was expensive. So the gospel authors were like, we only have this much scroll to write the story of Jesus. Yeah. We got to be careful of what we do. I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah. uh, the, the thing about that. And I like that analogy. Uh, you could also use it as sort of like a film adaptation or whatever. Yes. And, and, just in the news uh, on Twitter this morning, I was looking and just this morning, you know, Tiger King, you remember that? Tiger yeah, King guy? I watched yeah. It. yeah, me too. It was weird. <laughs> it was yeah. really weird. But guess what? There's actually multiple adaptations of um, scripted uh, TV shows now or movies or whatever that are in production based on on the story of Tiger King and Carol Baskin and all that. One of them, <laughs> Nic- one of them stars Nicolas Cage, of course. Of course it does. Why not? Um, and another one's got Kate McKinnon from SNL as the right. But at the same time, you've got two completely different production companies producing the same true story. They're not going to line up with each other, but they're going to be very different, aren't they? Yes. They're going to be really different. They're going to be told from a different perspective. They're going to be the, the scripts aren't going to the lines that come out of their mouths are not going to be the same. Um, and, and yet what we're going to see is a true story unfolding before I before our eyes. And, and that's what we have, I think, with the Gospels as well. I think we have to, we have, like, I think a, a key word that we haven't used yet is genre. Yes. Right? When we come to the scriptures, we, whatever we're reading, we have to assess what the genre is that we're reading, right? And we can't assume that uh, our modern equivalent genre is the same as an ancient genre, right? So, like, if I'm, like you say, a biography, if I'm reading a biography of someone, a modern biography, I'm going to assume. Uh, an, an element of historical precision and accuracy was taken research that there were fact checking and stuff that happened to make sure that it's, it's correct, which is a different level of accuracy even than I would find if I was reading an encyclopedia. So if I'm reading an encyclopedia article, it's going to be even more precise, right? Than a biography, which may again, take some flourish and stuff. Um, but then an ancient biography has a different degree of historical accuracy and and we shouldn't then say, oh, well, you know, because it doesn't meet our modern standards, therefore uh, it's not true. We have right. to, we just have to accept that that's an ancient genre of literature that was written. doesn't mean it's not inspired by God or anything like that, um, but uh, it just doesn't match our, our modern expectations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the question of inspiration is often the thing that people worry about when we start having conversations like this, because they think, well, how does that jive with inspiration? But, you know, I'm reminded of F.F. Bruce who said, well, inspiration is not a concept that I fully understand before I come to study the biblical text. It's not like I have this idea of inspiration that floats out on its own, that we've been able to come up with independently of the Bible. And then we're able to go back and read the Bible, make sure that it lines up with our view of inspiration. We have to do the opposite. We need to read the Bible as it really is. And then our doctrine of inspiration needs to come out of that, not the other way around. Mm. Otherwise, you have a, a box you have to fit scripture into, which almost becomes more authoritative than the Bible itself. Oftentimes, our view of inspiration becomes more authoritative than the Bible. So we need to have a certain amount of humility and be like, what did God give us here? 
You know, did God give us a modern textbook? No, he did not. And now the view of the question of inspiration is a whole other conversation, but it's definitely wrapped up in this. But one thing I just want to say is that let's assume for the sake of argument that, for instance, like how did Judas die? You know, was, was, he, was he hung or did he fall headlong into a field and his guts sp spilled open? And, you know, is it possible to harmonize that? You could really creatively harmonize that. I don't think it's the best way to do it. I think we have two contending accounts. But in the end of the day, did Judas die? Mm -hmm. Yes. So here's one of the things that, you know, when we're dealing with, as I said, a, a, a few years of oral tradition before some of these things were, were written down, you know, these are stories that are that are telling us information about Jesus. And what's amazing is that they don't disagree more than they already do. They actually are quite conservative yeah. in the way that they were tell the accounts. But here's something to keep in mind is that even when it came to the sinking of the Titanic, uh, those who were on the lifeboats, a significant number of people in the lifeboats who watched the, the Titanic go down, according to studies, Close to half the eyewitnesses who were in the lifeboat said that the Titanic split in half before it went down. And the other half who were in the lifeboat said it did not split in half and went down totally intact. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have two conflicting stories. Um, now, some skeptics would say, well, if you have one account that says this, another account that says that, how do you know anything happened? I think that's absurd logic. Yeah. I don't understand why that's two bad. conflicting accounts mean that nothing happened behind it. Mm -hmm. but we have no reason to doubt that the Titanic really did go down. In fact, we, we know where the Titanic is right now. We can go on YouTube and you can see videos of them going down and looking at it. So just because there might be a conflicting account does not mean the event of the question did not happen. Do I know how to answer the question of how many women were at the tomb, with the exact names of the women that were at the tomb of Jesus? No, I don't know exactly how to do that. Mm -hmm. I knew that there were multiple women. It's possible, like one of the traditions going around had these few names of women. The other one with this, is a, could you harmonize them? You probably could. Um, do you need to? I don't see why you need to. All, all I need to know is a number of women went to the tomb and they saw the tomb was empty. Yeah. And there was some form of angel there. One, two guys. I don't know how many were there. And the stone was rolled away. And then, you know, the story keeps going. So, um, yeah, I was just thinking about this in a car this morning. I thought about how a lot of the re reasons why people struggle to come from Bible, it's more people that come from Bible-believing churches that struggle with these questions. Mm -hmm. And that's because I think, and I think it's because we've been told to have a preconceived idea of what the Bible is. And therefore, when we read the Bible and, and, and something doesn't seem to, we like align with what we were told, we get cognitive dissonance and we start to really get nervous. Mm -hmm. But my thinking is this, and, and let, let, I'm not saying inerrancy is not true. It very well could be that, you know, and all, all the, uh, the Bible could be infallible, but, but the way I look at it is I reverse engineer my faith on purpose. So I don't set myself up for failure. And it's, I try to imagine myself in the first few decades of the Jesus movement, Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples are going around preaching the good news of Jesus to like all across the ancient Mediterranean. And, you know, we, they're, they're, the documents are starting to be written. So we have Paul's letter started to roll out one letter at a time, not all at once. One gospel was written. Okay. And so at that time, did any of those Christians around the year 40 or 50, did any of them have this view that 
the reason why my faith in Jesus is true is because someday there will be 27 documents. It'll be called the New Testament. We will have a finished canon of the Old Testament, and everything will be able to be perfectly harmonized and line up exactly as I want it to. And the reason why I'm, I'm going to give my life to Jesus is because I make sense of the entire Bible mm-hmm. and that there are no tricky questions regarding Scripture. <laughs> no. Yeah. When Peter got a Pentecost, you did, did not say, men of Israel, I'm here to proclaim to you that this Jesus, whom you crucified, God raised him. And eventually there will be 27 books of the New Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament, make a 66-book canon, which future Protestants are going to agree on. And therefore, Christianity is true because of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what they said. Exactly. Their faith started with Jesus, mm-hmm. and it went out from there. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to we need to keep things in the middle there's there's concentric circles of importance jesus needs to be in the middle of the concentric circles yeah and our view of how to untie like these tricky questions in the bible need to be like second or third ring and then other things need to go up from there not everything is as important because if i was once again get the time machine go back to the first century and say why are you a christian why are you a believer in jesus around the year 40 or 45 or 50 they would say because we believe jesus was raised from the dead Mm-hmm. And he's Lord. And we know people that saw him. You can go talk to them. Yeah. That's that's why that's how the Jesus movement got started. I know that doesn't relate directly to the question that you're oh, it asking. Does. It does relate. Yeah. I yeah. want I think people need to calm down. <laughs> need to don't freak out. There might you might not be able to get answers to all your questions in this lifetime. In mm-hmm. fact, you definitely won't. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Yeah, but we need to have put first things first. And that's I think Jesus. That, I, I think that uh, Baptists uh, in particular and certain other conservative evangelicals um, are we're good at, um, at you know we call ourselves people of the book, which is actually a term that Muslims use. Muslims gave to us. <laughs> yeah, Muslims call right, um, but we call ourselves people of the book because we want to have a high view of Scripture. You know, I, I often see preachers holding up Bibles saying. We got a high view of scripture in this church. And, and I, t- I agree, you know, we should have a high view of scripture. Yes. Right? Whereas some churches, you know, really just, they almost ignore it. Um, we've got to have a high view of scripture, but we, we need to be careful not to fall into the, the, the error of worshiping the scriptures. That's right. Um, because this, you know, the Trinity is not father, son, and Holy Bible. <laughs> you know, and, and I think sometimes Baptists are good at that. Father, Son, Holy Bible. Um, and uh, yeah, the Bible is true. It's good. It's important. It's how we know about Jesus. But Jesus is the center of our faith. That's right. Jesus is the center of our faith. And you're right. It's such a good point, a good reminder that the first Christians, you know, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. Their Bible was the right. Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even compiled. It was just a bunch of scrolls that they would have stored at their local synagogue um but but yeah i mean the church came before the bible before the new testament (laughs) yes yes (laughs) and uh and so yeah we we don't need to we don't need to base our faith on the on on some conflated sense of in the inerrancy of the scriptures that's not the basis of our faith the basis of our faith is the risen jesus the person of christ who is alive today Yep, I agree with that completely, yeah. and I, I really resonate with that idea, image of the pastor or preacher holding the Bible up, and oftentimes when people 
say they have a high view of the Bible, what they mean is they have a high view of their view of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. If, any, if anyone was to explain to them that, well, I don't know, I don't know if you're seeing that right, they would call you a heretic because to them, orthodoxy is based on the right way to believe is based on what they believe. They've yeah. become the authority. So we need to have certain amount of like, and I need to remind myself of this all the time, what's the term epistemological humility, where like the way that we understand things, we need to be careful how firmly we are holding on to these ideas that we have. We need to hold on to them, but we need to sort of keep our hands open just a little bit to make sure that maybe there's things we can learn and we need to be willing to adjust our thinking on things. Mm. And that's happening to me all the time. Um, but just, just a couple of things, just, just some of the examples of some of the differences that we see in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, the New Testament Gospels. And uh, a good friend of mine, his name is Michael Cohn, and he wrote a book called Why Are There Differences uh, in the Gospels? And it's, Oh, I should have uh, called I should have called Michael Lycona to be. I know. Mike's, Mike's the guy you should have been asking this question to. <laughs> but Mike did a whole, um, Mike's, in my opinion, one of the leading authorities in the historical question about whether Jesus rose from the dead, but he also you know, in numerous debates, debating that topic, because he would get on stage and debate famous skeptics. Art um, Ehrman and those Ehrman had said, exactly. And, and uh, some of those guys were asking really good questions. And Mike didn't have great answers when he was standing on stage debating them. And Art Ehrman would say, well, it says this in one gospel with the resurrection. It says this in another. How do you know, you know, how can you, how do you know which is true? So what Mike did was he did a research. He, he decided to take a look at you know scholar, vast majority of new testament scholars believe the gospels are in the genre of ancient greco-roman biography or something close to that that's the closest genre we have to the gospels and uh so when you look at all these greco-roman biographies that we have do we notice similar differences in those texts that we do in the gospels and the answer is yes we notice very many of the exact same differences we see in the gospels mm-hmm. appearing for instance plutarch where earlier said he wrote about 65 of them i think 50 some of them we still have um but he would tell the same story numerous times in different books for telling about some famous person in his pat in the past but he right the same author made the same literary changes in in his different books i'm talking about the same person who was yeah. in the gospels between like what mark would say and matthew would say right. or luke would say and john would say so for instance comp- like compression is where you, you know, a story's collapsed for economy of space and time, kicking out important detail. When you compress a story, oftentimes you're losing important details, and therefore it seems like you're, it can seem like there's a, an actual contradiction. Transferal, this is one that makes many evangelicals nervous, but we absolutely see this in the Gospels, where the words uh, and deeds of one person is, uh, is, is changed to somebody else. For instance, uh, I think it was, it was the centurion servant when he came to, did he come to Jesus himself directly to ask for help for his for healing for his servant? Or did he send emissaries on his behalf to go and ask Jesus? The same words come out of the, word, the words of the emissary in one gospel and the other gospel, it's him himself. Mm-hmm. Well, that's transferal, but that's totally okay because it's also compressing the story down. Instead of having the, 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 the guy himself go to Jesus, he's having his servants go to the other story. One of them just, compressed it down he himself just asked jesus the question and kicked out the emissaries mm-hmm. so technically if you're looking at the two of them well who asked jesus the question was it the guy himself or was it the people he sent on his behalf right well i think it was probably the emissaries that went and did it on his behalf but i mean technically you could say that there, we have a discrepancy in the text 
because it says, well, this guy asked the question. The other one, these people said on his behalf asked the question. So the other one is displacement. A writer takes an event out of its original context. And if you hear my two-year-old screaming, my apologies. She's downstairs. She's, she likes to act like a dinosaur sometimes, just start roaring like a dinosaur. It's kind of funny. Well, as you know, Greg, I have five children, so I totally understand. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Anyways, so when a writer takes an event out of its original context, places in another. Once again, the yeah. day Jesus died between John and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, it was the eve of Passover or the day itself. You know, when the Passover, the Jesus, the Passover lamb, that's what John's trying to tell us. Yeah, so we John, have all John's, these made an, John's made an edit to, to help prove his point. Exactly. Like it was sort of the, the propaganda element of it, right? He's That's right. He, he's choosing to tell the story in a certain way because he's trying to communicate a certain point about Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So anyways, there's a whole bunch of different uh, literary sort of, uh, you know, tricks that these guys would use. And once again, they weren't trying to mislead their audience. They, they were, that was totally acceptable, acceptable for ancient Greco-Roman biographers yeah. to do. Greg, your wife is home, right? She's going to tend to that child. You didn't just leave the child laying. No, that's, that's a, we have a, we have a babysitter that's downstairs. Oh, okay. yeah, this, our babysitter is incredible. She literally is like, <laughs> she literally has been like isolating for like the last few months and just watching our kids. So it's oh, like amazing. It's, it's a home run there. Yeah. Okay. We, we should wrap this up, Greg, but I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to kind of conclude with one thought and that is, yeah. you've mentioned it, I think a couple of times, but um I think that what is really remarkable about the four gospels is actually not the inconsistencies, but how yes. consistent they are with one another. Yes. Right. I mean, that's all, all factors considered uh, the, the ancient biography genre of it. The fact that these were people writing it, you know, in different places at different times. Um, some who knew each other, some probably who didn't know each other speaking to different eyewitnesses. Um, it's really amazing, actually. I think a, a testimony to the fact of the inspiration of these scriptures as to actually how much they are alike yeah. and, and how historically accurate they are. Uh, so do you have any thoughts on that as a, as a way to sort of end this on a positive note for our listeners who may be feeling very skeptical of whether or not they can trust their Bibles now, Greg? Thanks a lot. Yeah, no, that's, no, I, that's, a, that's a really fair question. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is important to note as, as you, as you've done is that despite there being differences, and by the way, when I said that there's differences, you know, as I said earlier, the gospel authors were not making these differences to mislead anybody. Mm -hmm. They were, they made the differences happen on purpose. Mm -hmm. They weren't mistakes. They intended to change the de the details so they can make a certain point in their narrative. And, 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 no, helped. and no detail that is different changes any major no. No. doctrinal truth of the church. Even I mean, Bart, all... even Bart Ehrman, who's an atheist skeptic, he acknowledges that. He said at the back of the appendix to his book, Misquoting Jesus, that he agreed with his, uh, his late teacher, Bruce Metzger, who was a, a Christian, an Orthodox Christian, like a Bible, oh, not a, I wouldn't say it's not an evangelical, but he, you know, Bruce Metzger said not a single discrepancy in the text impacts the uh any core doctrine yeah so and airman's like i agree with that yeah yeah all, but all it does is it might impact a specific example of like i don't know imagine this like let's say an event like a gold medal hockey game at the olympics 
Mike Fredericks and Greg Manette get tickets to go to the gold medal hockey game. Let's do we it. Won the lottery. You know, that'd be incredible because I'd love to see that. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's next year, it's in China. So let's say you and I go to China, we get gold medal tickets, we won a prize like for Pepsi or Coca-Cola, and they flew us there, business class. I don't drink you know, Pepsi, so whatever. But let's say we get an airplane, we fly there. I need the details to be very accurate in this example. But then after the fact, let's say you and I are both recounting the story and you're like, uh, Greg was wearing a Team Canada jersey. Actually, I was wearing a red T-shirt with a Canada logo on it. Okay. So that immediately you'd say, well, there's a small error. That wouldn't bother anybody, Mm -hmm. really. Any normal person. I was wearing a red, you thought I was wearing a red Canada jersey. I was was wearing a red Canada T-shirt. Okay. The other, and the other thing was, I was like, well, you know, Mike was there. He's like wearing his glasses and he was wearing, uh, you know, like whatever. You're like, no, I actually had my contacts in that day, but I always imagine you wearing glasses that I just assumed, but you and I were absolutely at the game. And you're like, yeah, we took an Air Canada flight from Halifax to direct to, uh, you know, China. You know, we, we went from Halifax to China uh, with flu, but by Air Canada. But what you didn't say is we flew from Halifax to Toronto, Toronto to, you know, mm-hmm. wherever and wherever to, you know, we took two stops in the way. So it wasn't a direct flight and it wasn't actually Air Canada. It was actually a different airline, but we just, we just made a mistake. So what, at the end of the day, we actually went to the game and we saw the event happen and Canada won gold and beat the Russians in overtime. Yes, man. So like, <laughs> but, but those things happen all the yeah. time. People were tell stories mm-hmm. like you might screw up and remember one air, one detail here or there, but it's not like the event didn't happen. So, and the positive. And, and note, in fact, and in yeah. fact, sorry to interrupt, but I think in fact, it actually lends some historical credibility if the details don't line up, right? Yeah, that's because right. It, because if you and I sat down and someone independently asked each of us to tell the story of what happened on our trip to China, and we told it exactly the same, we quoted people exactly the same. It'd be too freaky. Detail, it would be like, okay, these guys obviously sat down and scripted yes. this and colluded. And came up with, I mean, if this was like a court situation or a trial situation and two eyewitnesses shared the exact same story like that, they would throw those eyewitnesses out as, as they fabricated a story, right? That's right. But the fact that the stories have some differences because we saw things from a different perspective or we didn't remember things quite exactly the same way, uh, that's actually a good, a good testimony to the fact that, no, they're telling a true story. They actually saw this thing happen. Exactly. That's right. right. Yeah. So that's, at the end of the day, uh, as you said, the Gospels... I think are get the basic details exactly right. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the peripheral stuff is not ultimately like game changing information. And even if they do change some of the important details, like the date of when Jesus died, if you know why John did it, we don't have a problem. Yeah. I actually don't, th- it probably didn't happen on the, on the exact, uh, on John's date. It probably happened on the actual date Matthew, Mark and Luke said. But as long as we understand what John was doing, then there's no problem there. It's perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. why we need to take the time to read the Gospels on their terms, and what they're trying to do. And uh, yeah, that's yeah, each, each Gospel day. writer had. I a don't have a doubt when I re- when I open up my when I open up my Gospel of Mark, my Gospel of Matthew, and I read through them. I'm not like thinking as I go through this, like my skeptical brain's not going off all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I can't believe this person moved the story around, or I can't believe that this person didn't realize that Matthew be written 10 years from now and say this differently. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's, it doesn't, they don't bother me as like hardly at all anymore. The, the yeah. differences. I, 
I don't lose sleep over how Judas died. It's not something right. that really bothers me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate this. This was great. And I hope it was helpful for me. So if hopefully it's helpful for other people too. Um, and uh, yeah, just, I really appreciate your insight and maybe we should do this again sometime. Next time I have sure. another hard Bible question. Maybe this should be the Greg and Mike <laughs> podcast. <laughs> all, I, all I can tell you is right now, if all of a sudden a year from now, you and I end up in China and Canada beats Russia 5-4 in the gold medal game. Yes. People are going to think I'm a charismatic who prophesies. Yeah. I'm not, but that'd be an amazing prophecy. <laughs> well, there were some definitely some prophets in the American election who were who got got some things wrong, weren't, weren't there? Anyway, that's another oh, story yes. for another time. Anyway, Absolutely. Greg. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again, man. Uh, so good. Hey, Appreciate your time and uh, your wisdom. God bless you and your family. And maybe this summer restrictions lift and we can uh, have a barbecue in the backyard or meet up at the Shubenacadie Wildlife Park or something. We go the we we have season pass here to the wildlife park. Yeah, so, so do we. Yeah, so we love we'll it. Let's meet there. All right, good plan. Yeah, everyone. Thanks, Greg. Sure. Take care. See you later.